Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Good the very morning to you, Trinity Church. Um, Our readings this morning are from Exodus chapter 31, verse 1 to 11, and Psalm 110, verse 1 to 3. So, Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, And I've filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and the ark, uh, sorry, and all the furnishings of the tent, and the table and its articles, with pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord... Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. For the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pat. And good morning. Good to be here again. Good to be with you again. We missed last week, uh, but it's uh, we were on holiday. As a, as a family, had a good time. It's very much better to be with you, uh, if you can believe that. It's definitely the truth. We had a um, we had a lovely New Year as a family. One of the highlights was going to the movies. Now, going to the movies, I would put in the category of things that I wish I did more. Uh, And uh, for whatever reason, it it doesn't happen often enough. And I saw a film, we saw a film, on New Year's Eve. It was the, the, by far the, in my opinion, the best two and a half hours of the day. Um, I'm sort of a, you know, in an ideal world, I'm I'm tucked up in bed on New Year's Eve at around 930 it was fair to say that didn't happen, uh, but there we go. And any, any, in any case, we went to see this film. It's full of wonder. 
It was full of whimsy. It was the kind of film that sparks creativity. I don't know if you can guess what it was. One kid in here? Absolutely right. There's chocolate and there's chocolate. Wonkers makes your eyes pop out your sockolet. Just a little bit of uh, little bit of singing there to wet your whistle. If you've not been and seen it, then you might want to do that. It's, it's a beautiful story. It's a prequel. So telling the story creatively of what happened before Roald Dahl imagined and wrote everything that you may have uh, heard in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. And I found it particularly compelling as a story because what happens in the story, without spoiling anything, this is not revealing anything that will ruin the story for you, is that we meet Wonka, Willy Wonka, when he leaves uh, a boat where he's been a, a chef for a number of years, and he leaves with a dream. The dream that he carries in his heart is that one day he will own a chocolate shop in a major city. It feels Parisian. I don't know where it's actually based, but it's somewhere in France. And, and he faces very significant opposition at every single step. There is a cartel of three chocolate owners who oppose everything he's trying to do. They try and lock him out of the market. And yet, because of his dream, because of um, almost his belligerence in pursuing what is in his heart, he, he breaks open a series of doors that seem to be shut. And the thing that struck me as I was watching the film and just enjoying, honestly... A moment's peace uh, from my beloved children and the children of two beloved families who we were spending New Year's with. There's a lot uh, between the lines there. The thing that struck me was that the, the, the message coming through this film was that the most powerful person in the room or in the story, and I use power there in a positive sense. I know that power often in our culture is is a negative word, but the most powerful, the most capable, the person who had the most influence to be able to shape the world around them in the story is the person with the greatest imagination. Not the person necessarily who kind of has the, uh, the cultural aspects of power in their hands. Not the person with the most money. Wonka didn't really have any money. Uh, not the person um, with the, 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 the real estate, the shop, with all of that stuff. But the person who wouldn't take no for an answer and who could imagine a different future even when all of the sort of external aspects of the future were closed down. It struck me as I was watching Wonka that imagination was something that I don't think about very often. That we as Christians potentially don't think about very often. That we don't pay much attention to, but which actually if we're thinking about living a functional life and a functional Christian life, we really ought to be thinking more about the power of imagination, specifically the power of redeemed Imagination, And as we come to the juncture, the, the, this moment of New Year where we turn over a leaf, we turn over uh, from looking at last year where we look back with gratitude, with thanks for what God has done in our lives, we look back at some of the, the hurts maybe, some of the losses as well as some of the victories, and we look forward with hope to this coming year. 
We ought to be thinking creatively and imaginatively as Christians and particularly as a church. I want us at this moment in the year to be thinking, to be imagining what God's good future for us might be as a community. And the reason principally we ought to do that, the reason we can afford as Christians to think imaginatively is because we worship a God who is pure imagination. Imagine, imagine, there we go, accidentally, imagine with me, no, this is a dangerous thing to say in church, imagine with me being God. I spend most of my week imagining I am God, I probably ought this morning to imagine I'm not God. But imagine if you were God. Imagine if you were eternally existing in the perfection of your love for for the other members of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just enjoying one another eternally. Imagine saying on one day, which wasn't a day because it was in eternity, but imagine saying at one moment, let's create something. Come on, let's get, let's do something. And then imagine imagining the world with all of its intricacies. Imagine thinking about cells. Imagine saying, now you know, the, the building block of everything is going to be the cell. And in the cell, we're going to have, ooh, proteins. Oh, I know what, some lipids, that would be lovely. And carbohydrate. And let's begin to build this thing from the ground up. Oh, but before that, and Jesus would say, Father, are you not forgetting atoms? And the Holy Spirit would say, well, what's the structure of atoms? How are we going to, electrons and protons and neutrons and all these other things, quarks I don't even know about. Imagine, imagine thinking that. Imagine imagining that. It's extraordinary. Imagine then thinking, that's the granular. But what about the cosmic? Saying, oh, planets would be a good idea. How are we going to get those? Oh, which ones? What colors are they going to be? What relationship? How are we going to hold them all together? This thing, if we're not careful, it's going to run away with itself. And somebody says, gravity. That's a good idea. Imagine imagining that. You can't. But God did. Extraordinary. We worship a God who is imagination, who creates and who loves it. He loves it when we imagine. He's in that. He, he dwells in that as we uh, submit our imagination to him. He dwells in that. And at key junctures of the story of Scripture, which is the story of God's people in relationship with him at key junctures, junctures God releases the dreamers. Those with imagination to take up a particular part, a particular place in his plan. Now I think of Joseph. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just doing the Bible in a year again this year. I, I often, I, you know, I often will try and read scripture in a year. I've taken a few years off doing it kind of that militantly because I can get quite militant. And it becomes a checklist exercise rather than a devotional thing. But anyway, I've got back into it and I thought I'll start early. So I'm, I'm going to start in December. So I'm a month in anyway. I've, I've taken Genesis out, seen that off, seen off Exodus now. And, and what you see, particularly I think in these early books in Scripture, is the power, God's power to redeem his people through imaginative people. Joseph is a great example, isn't he? A dreamer whose imagination gets him into trouble, but in the end becomes a key aspect in how God redeems the whole people of God and 
And today in our, in our reading, we've met Bezalel and Aholiab. Bezalel means in the shadow of God. Bezalel is overshadowed by God. His whole being, his imaginative faculties and every other part of him is overshadowed by God. And Bezalel shows up at a key moment in the story of redemption and what's happening for those that don't know the story is that Joseph, the, the man I mentioned before, uh, was used by God to rescue God's people from famine. And God led his people to Egypt where there was plenty, from Canaan where there was nothing, and saved Israel, saved God's people. But of course, a few hundred years later, the leaders of Egypt, the pharaohs, had forgotten about that story. And they'd enslaved the Israelites because of how productive they were, because they had been fruitful. And so the people cry out. They, even before they can imagine a future that isn't enslavement, they cry out to God and they say, God, would you rescue us? And God acts and sends Moses and leads them out of slavery into the promised land. That's known as the Exodus. That's a, a, a Greek word which literally just means the way out. God lead, leads them out of slavery and into freedom. And then God gives them a, a, a set of laws, a description of how to live well. It's called the Torah. Um, uh, Ten Commandments and it b- builds out of that. And then he gives them the prescription of a tabernacle which is a basically a tent full of the presence of God. And, and the tent itself, a bit like the temple will be, is like a mini example of the creation. That's why there's all these things with pomegranates and, and bowls of water and everything else, because this is a description of creation. And God speaks that to Moses while Moses is on the mountain encountering God. And I imagine that to be... A conversation full of imagination. You know, it says God speaks that into Moses. The word is dabar, but I've always thought about that being sort of quite a, you know, and what would you like in that room, God? Okay, I'll write that down. Maybe not. What if God shows Moses? What if that revelation of the description of the tabernacle, this place of God's presence to Moses, is in itself gripped with, filled with imagination. Moses the dreamer. And then, of course, Bezalel gets into the story. And this this Moses gives Bezalel the prescription, the design, the vision. But then Bezalel, his job is to bring that into being. He has to imagine and then deliver it so that it can be what God first imagined. Moses gives the plan to Bezalel, but it's his job to interpret these plans, to imagine what this could look like. And here's the question, how is he qualified to do this? Well, I love this simple line in the text, and just in case you're wondering if I was, was going to refer to the Bible, here we go. He says, verse, uh, chapter 31 of Exodus, verse 3, and I have filled him, God says, I have filled him, Bezalel, with the Spirit of God with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. So there's two aspects to that, isn't it? Firstly, he's filled with the Spirit of God. You know, we're familiar with talking. If you've been in the church, been in a Christian church, you know you're familiar with the idea of being filled with God's Spirit. 
But do you know this is the first person in the whole of Scripture to be described as being filled with God's Spirit? We know that the creation has been filled with God's Spirit, but this is the first person to be described as being filled with God's Spirit. And it's not a priest, this isn't a religious person. This is a creative, a secular artisan, somebody employed, yes, in a religious purpose in this moment, but a creative. So he's filled with the Spirit. That's the first qualification for this imaginative venture that he's going to begin. The second thing is that he is highly skilled. It says he's filled with wisdom or filled with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Why? To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, and so on. This man, Bezalel, has a double threat. Filled with the Spirit, full of skill. Why? To articulate and bring to life God's vision. I love that. What an amazing way to think about being a disciple of Jesus. Filled with the Spirit, highly skilled. Why? To bring God's plan to earth. To make concrete what is in God's heart and in God's mind. And I want to suggest at the beginning of the year that that wouldn't be a bad thing for us as Trinity to imagine as our job description this year. That our job is to partner with God in seeing heaven come to earth. God's vision for the way the world will be, his will, we've prayed it, his will, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. But the gap between heaven and earth sometimes lives in the imagination And the question I have for us as a church, even at the beginning of the year, is can we imagine, can we dare this this year to dream? Can we dare to imagine heaven on earth? Can we dare to push through the cynicism around us and even the cynicism within us, the, the attitudes that live in us that say it could never, ever be other than it is? To a perspective that says, I dare to dream. I dare to dream. The power of imagination, the power of dreaming. You know, we all know the Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And how that dream, that imagination, shifted the dial in a particular moment in human history. But it's so often the case, isn't it? Let's bring this down to sort of day-to-day life, even in this congregation, even in this community. You know, I watched a a skillful artisan recently. His name was Joel Brown of this parish. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Auntie Pat. And he built that drum box. Do you know, he? I don't know if Joel's in the room. His doppelganger, Adam, is... You know, when Joel built that, he showed up. He didn't actually have plans. In, he didn't, have any, didn't develop any plans as far as this, Nothing on paper. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, he just had such skill. We watched him build that over a couple of weeks. Bit by bit, inch by inch, putting it together. And this is, in many ways, a small example. A mini tabernacle for drummers to inhabit, fill with the presence of God and a, a slightly musty odour, if we're honest. <laughs> but it's like a vi- so he saw it. 
He imagined it, and then he built it. You know, another great example in and around our community, we can't claim credit for this one, can we? But isn't it amazing to see the coffee shop over the road, Punch? You know that? You know that's a place where people in our city experience hospitality and welcome all the time. Four people in this community imagined it, and then they built it, and it's been a place where people have experienced welcome over the last year and a half or so. What an amazing thing. I'm not just talking about stuff that we can imagine for and in this community. I'm talking about your life, what you do when you're not here. The other 166 hours in the, in the week, those are the ones where God is asking you, can you imagine what your life would be like if you, had, if you allowed yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you used the skills that I know you have? Some of you have got such profound skill in nursing and in teaching and in leadership and in business and in art. You know, we've, got, we've got luthiers in this congregation, that's the guitar builders. We've got, we've got teachers, we've got nurses, we've got all these different sorts of people. You're all doing this stuff. Some of you work in government, civil service. You do all sorts of things. Imagine some of you make furniture. And you do all this stuff week in, week out. Imagine. Surrender it again to God and imagine what he might do. But I do believe as well, this is a moment for us as a, a specifically thinking about this church community. I want to speak into this community right now, just in three different areas. What could this look like? Because I do think this is a time of opportunity for us like never before. I've never been more hopeful for the future of the church in this country than I am now. I've never been more hopeful because I believe that this is a moment, a moment where reformation is before us. And in moments of reformation, people with imagination seize the day. I think... Specifically speaking to Trinity, there are three areas, and they all begin with B, conveniently. Who knew God is so good? To speak in alliteration, the first is belonging. And as we look back, I think we see in the history of this church, the relatively recent history, only sort of seven and a half years, but we see a history of people coming into this place and experiencing belonging. Many of you have said that to us. That's not something... uh, that's that. Well, you, you say that to us, so I'm not, I'm not boasting now, but you create that. That's something we together have seen. We have a great foundation in belonging. I think there is, I would like to think, I hope there will always be an atmosphere of welcome in this house. Many of you do say that to us as you arrive here. We've also got structures of belonging, groups and, and gatherings, the Orchard Local just coming up next Saturday, and various other things as well that people can be part of. But I want to say there is so much to come. When it comes to our opportunity, the opportunity we have before us to welcome this city into belonging in this church. You know, it used to be the case that if you wanted to reach the nations, you had to send missionaries. We are in a moment in human history where the nations are coming to us. And we have the opportunity to welcome them into this house here and now. It is one of the great joys of my heart that this church is becoming ever more diverse in every single aspect. Would we not want more and more of that as we grow? Of course we do. Imagine it. Imagine it. Imagine the widows, the orphans. Imagine the young ones and the old ones. Imagine the lonely. 
in a home. Imagine those who have had no connection to the church finding home here. Just imagine it. And now imagine the role that you will play in it because it cannot happen without you. It will not happen without you. You know, we are going to make a real effort this year as a church to see a shift in the atmosphere of belonging. We're thankful for what we have, but we want more. Uh, We unfortunately are unable this year for a variety of practical reasons that I won't go into detail on right now. We're not able to have a church weekend away in the same way we have in the last couple of years. So we have in their place a series of events over the next seven or eight months leading up to uh, August, late July, early August, where we hope that many of us will go to Focus, which is a, 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 it's in Newark, and it's going to be something that we do together as a church. But there's a series of events that we're hosting, which we hope will, they're not going to answer the question, but they're going to be part of catalyzing, we hope, a shift in the atmosphere of belonging. And we all need to play a part in that. Secondly, believing. <laughs> I in the last sort of six to nine months have felt a shift in my heart, in my spirit, when it comes to the desire to see God moving among people who don't yet know him. Now you would say, Johnny, you're a vicar. You should always have had that. <laughs> I get that. Fair comment. But it's shifted in me in a, in a measurable way. And I long to see that. I long to see this church being filled with people who haven't grown up in and around church, who've coming to faith for the first time. I know there are always people in, this, in our gatherings who are in that place. If you are in that place this morning, I want to say to you, you're welcome here. We're delighted you're here. This is a place where you can safely explore what faith in Jesus might look like. We want to help you with that. Alpha is probably the best place to begin. But we're here for you. We are here to help you do that. And when I say we, I mean all of us. All of us. That's what we're here for. And if we're not here for that, we should shut the doors and never open the church again. No point. You know, Bonhoeffer, great theologian who was martyred, he said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. We are here for the benefit of those who don't yet believe. That's why we're here. So if that's you in this place, free house, come and enjoy yourself. And we'd love to help you. The last baptisms we had, I thought were a great example. We had five or six people, I forget, people baptized. And what struck me as I was witnessing it was that none of those people, not a single one of them, had any pre-existing connection to the church. It was amazing. And I thought, gosh, I began to imagine in five years' time, if this keeps happening, what kind of church are we going to be? I got so excited. I thought, I don't know, but I want to be in that church. I want to be in it. It'd be a bit messier, wouldn't it? Be a bit wilder. Oh, I like the sound of that. I like the sound of wild and messy. Sounds good to me. I think it sounds good to God. Can you imagine it? Here's the thing. not, Not only can you imagine it, can you imagine your part in it? Because it's going to be essential that you play your part in it. Imagine your friends worshiping their hearts out next to you. The ones that don't know Jesus yet. Can you imagine it? It ain't going to happen without you. Finally, buildings. Buildings coming into land. We are 
so for, fortunate. Do we believe in fortune? <laughs> no. Blessed. Thank you. Grateful. Could have done it. Could have had anything. Not fortunate. Uh, we are blessed. We are grateful to have use of this building. You know, if you don't know the story of this building, extraordinary. Come to our next welcome afternoon tea whenever we're doing that next. Amazing story of how we got this building. Uh, I'm not going to tell it now, but this was an auction house at one stage, apparently also a, a roller disco. But God had it in his heart, I don't know when, before the creation of the world probably, to make this a house where he would be worshipped at this time in history. And a man called Don began to pray to that end many years before it was a church. And at the moment, and over the last number of years, we've seen this place set apart for worship. We've redone it all. It's cost hundreds of thousands of pounds. And that money largely has come from this congregation. It's been your money and my money. And we've taken loans as well and we're paying those off and that has come from your money and my money. That's how this has happened. It's been amazing. And you know, this church, this building, these buildings are used more than ever before. So much so that we have some real problems with use of the buildings. We've got too much going on. What a wonderful problem to have. We're spilling out. We are spilling out of this building. We spill out of this building every Sunday morning. Our youth, they were behind there just a little bit ago, and they've spilled up the hill into St. Andrews, where they are now overspilling in worship, and they're learning about God, they're learning about Jesus, they're encountering him up there. Our kids downstairs are overspilling. It's amazing. Uh, home space on Wednesdays is spilling over. We, we, we are teaching English on Wednesdays, are we not? It's spilling over. God is doing so many things in this building. The building's not the point, but the building is an environment in which God does these things. It's wonderful. Now begin to imagine what God might want to do if there was more space. How might he fill more space with his presence for the sake of our city? Well, let's imagine that that derelict building attached to this one called the coach house wasn't derelict. Let's imagine it wasn't just inhabited by pigeons, some alive, some deceased. <laughs> let's imagine it was inhabited by people, children and young people, members of our city and older people, members of the church, members of our city. Just imagine it. Can you imagine it? Look back at the 150-year history of St. Andrews, that church at the top of the hill, a place of worship and creativity, a place where prayer, where people have learned to pray for 150 years. Think not back 150 years, think forward 150 years. If that place, as we believe and imagine it will be, will be used over that period for worship, it's going to have to experience a significant reordering. Imagine it. Imagine what that could look like. Imagine the people pouring into that place and pouring out, pouring in, pouring out. There is so much that's possible in this area. We have begun working together with our diocese to reimagine the future of this estate, of these buildings, for the sake of our city, for the sake of the benefit and the blessing of the church. You know, uh, Wilford has been blessed 
as George and Katie have gone to lead in that environment, there is a blessing that has come as we have given away leaders. You know, St. Saviour's, Amy and I were there just before Christmas for their first carol service on uh, December the 17th, I think it was, in the evening service. That building, not used for worship for over two years, filled with God's people singing praises to Jesus. It was beautiful. Imagine people being sent from this building. Imagine people being trained to lead churches as well as to go and do the stuff I've already talked about from this place as we develop these places. Imagine a center of training and sending, not just for this city, but beyond. All of this is possible. Can you imagine it? In January the 28th, at the gathering that we're going to have after the 11 o'clock service, the, the meal that you've already heard about on the updates, we're going to share some of the plans that we have, and we'd love you to speak into them as well. As we think about buildings, we think about belonging, we think about believing, we think about buildings. I'll close with this, Psalm 110. Here's why I had Pat read it. I've been praying about this stuff for a long time, as uh, you will appreciate. And I read this psalm a little while, while ago, and I just felt there was a promise in it for us. Verse 3, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. I think this is a day to prepare for a battle. I don't mean that negatively. I, I don't, I'm not trying to speak into opposition, taking back to now Wonka, but there will be opposition. As we seek to move forward in these areas in the kingdom, expect opposition. But I believe that God is going to grant us, uh, Psalm, Psalm 51, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God is going to grant us a willing spirit as a church to play our part. I, I simply want to say to you, none of this that, we've de that I've described this morning is for us to do, as in Amy and I, or our staff team, or our leadership team, whoever they may be. It's, it's got to be all of us, or it's not worth trying. But I believe as we hold on, as Bezalel did, to the Spirit of God and all the skill that he would grant, and we take the risk to imagine a different future that God will move powerfully among us. Amen? Amen. I'd love to pray. I'm going to invite Amy as well. She's going to lead us in communion. But would you, uh, would you pray with me?